Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Data integration and the future of the cloud is a critical cybersecurity conversation that HR and leaders need to have had like yesterday. According to Gartner, by 2024, 30% of digital businesses will mandate DNA storage trials, addressing the exponential growth of data poised to overwhelm existing storage technology. People are collecting exponential amounts of data with an increase in security parameters, transitioning to a borderless enterprise model. The security conversation must be centered on data ingestion, integrating fully with the cloud. Cloud first networks and the role of security in a hybrid multi-cloud world show we have a moment to take the current tech conversation beyond the traditional cybersecurity strategies. So what do managers and HR pros need to know about corporate data security? Well, listen to this interview today to find out. My guest this time is Wesley Mullins, CIO and CISO at DeepWatch, a company that delivers results-driven managed security systems by extending customers' cybersecurity teams. Wesley, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you, Bill. So, Wesley, beyond my wee introduction there, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself a wee bit to, to our audience today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Wes Mullins, CIO, CISO here at DeepWatch. Uh, my organization is responsible for pretty much all technology, uh, both back office as well as the technology that we use here at DeepWatch to deliver our service. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Now then, tell me a bit about DeepWatch. What is it and how does your team help provide comprehensive managed security solutions for clients across well, lots of industries by the looks of it, including uh, Fortune 500, Global 2000, and down to mid-sized enterprises. DeepWatch is um, what I, we are referring to as managed detection and response. Um, we are results-focused, really trying to help a customer go through what we are calling the cybersecurity maturity journey, helping them get the most out of their internal tools and platforms, getting the most out of their internal SOC teams by letting us filter through, you know, literally billions and billions of alerts, implementing massive amounts of automation and orchestration on, on the back end as part of the service, and really only flipping things over to the customer that have the ability to be actioned. We call those notable events with a, a main focus of only sending stuff to the customer. That way they can focus on internal IT initiatives, internal cyber initiatives, and the cyber team on the inside is really only focused on actual threats and actual potential malicious activity instead of filtering through, you know, what we call the weeds and um, logs and logs and logs. So we really try to handle the majority of that, um, advise our customers on strategic approaches to technologies they should be investing in, log sources they should be enabling to gain visibility and really helping them grow their internal program as subject matter experts. Okay, thank you very much. Now then, as part of my homework today, Wes, I was checking out DeepWatch's profile on Glassdoor, and uh, actually, it's pretty impressive. And I, I'm guessing there's a connection there between the fact that your employees are happy people and your customers are happy people. Uh, all over your website, you, you stress, and you just mentioned there in your in your answer that uh, you're very, very customer focused, and I, I love that. What, what's the secret sauce for a happy team, Wes? What's the what's the culture at DeepWatch, and how is that unique? And in addition, what does the DeepWatch leadership team look for in new hires? I think it. The key part of the culture really starts with the interview process. Uh, we're fortunate here to have a, a fairly phenomenal HR team, starting all the way with, with Jen Swenson, our chief people officer. And what we do is we implement a, a process that we call BATCH. So bright, adaptable, technical, coachable, hungry. 
Um, and we make sure that all potential candidates coming into DeepWatch, whether it's a sales role, it's a marketing role, um, any type of cyber role, back office IT, payroll, finance, they all go through the same process. They all get um, hit with the same ringer of questions. And we really try to focus on, you know, the, the actual attitude of the individual, not necessarily, you know, their, their capabilities at that point in time, you know, understanding that you can teach aptitude, but you can't teach attitude. So I really think a lot of it starts with that, where people know their value when they're coming in here, they understand the, you know, the, the critical responsibility that they have as being a deep watch employees, being a cybersecurity organization that's entrusted with securing hundreds of, of companies out there. And, and I think that is the, the key focus. Um, and then once you, you pivot and you do come inside, we are very, very big on company culture. Um, we try to do as much as we can for our employees in regards to morale. So as everyone knows, remote workforce right now, very hard to do that. Um, we try to stay on video as much as possible. We try to do after hours events. Um, we just had our first virtual CKO, which was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, we have major support groups inside of DeepWatch. So we have our internal infinity groups like the women of DeepWatch and et cetera. Uh, we have, we're now on phase two of our internal mentoring program. So we have a fairly robust mentoring program that allows both executives all the way down to the analyst ones uh, to engage cross org, not just in the delivery organization or the IT organization or the sales organization. Everybody can interact with everybody. Um, depending on what someone may or may not want mentoring on. Uh, we have a, you know, what I would consider probably one of the best um, learning and development programs and budgets that I've had the, you know, fortunate ability to be a part of. So we encourage employees both in the first half and the second half of the year to, you know, follow a predetermined path for their career and their training curriculum um, and supporting them, helping become better subject matter experts at what it is that they want to do that's going to help us become a better company. Okay, so you've listed a whole bunch of different activities there that you guys do to keep your employees engaged. So just on that note a little bit more, we're, we're all currently living in a situation where we're, we're working remotely and uh, it might continue to be like that for a little while longer. And you guys have been doing that pretty successfully for, for quite a long time, way before COVID hits summarize a little bit of what you just said there in terms of those activities summarize that into two or three key policies or practices that you believe other companies should should demonstrate should should enact so that they also have an engaged productive workforce even though they're working remotely i think a lot of it has to do with you know it's going to sound super simple like be on video as much as possible and have what we would call candid conversation slash water cooler conversation and the opportunities for people to participate in those. So whether that is a, you know, virtual happy hour, that's a virtual gaming session, you know, we have a, we have several groups that game together, um, something that allows engagement with looking at someone's facial expression, interacting with them, seeing them smile, seeing them frown. It's really hard in a remote workforce to, uh, live inside of the chat and live inside of the email. Um, it's hard to get empathy out of that. It's hard to show emotional support. Um, someone's demeanor, you, you kind of lose a lot of that aspect if you're solely only living inside of the chat window and or inbox. So we, we encourage uh, video for pretty much every single conference call we have here, whether that's internal and or external. Um, and all the different teams 
um, themselves have the opportunities to create, you know, after hour virtual activities that they participate in. Um, but we do know that chat is a big thing and people are super consumed with chat itself. So allow the opportunity to, for people to have chat rooms or chat groups that are not necessarily work related. So whether it's travel, whether it's vacation, whether it's, you know, pets and the cat channel and the dog channel, or if someone's into fishing, um, still allow people to, to have that and interact with that. That way it kind of adds a little bit of that personality that you know you would get if you were sitting next to someone in an office because you would have the ability to to build that rapport with them. Um, so I think it's a it's just a fine line of you know allowing people to to work and work when they need to work. Don't micromanage the eight to five. Um, understand that everyone's got kids at home now. Everyone's you know multi multitasking as as a parent and or you know a puppy parent. Um, but still giving them the opportunity to have some of those out of band conversations that you would really only get after hours at work and or on break time. So we've learned a little bit about you and about the company so far. Let's now jump into a few questions around uh, the, the key focus of today's interview, and that's uh, data security and, yeah. and ways that uh, leaders and, and the HR department actually can, can fit in with making sure that uh, their, their companies are secure and they're not going to get hacked by these terrible folks all over the world. The, um, the security landscape changes rapidly, Wes. Hackers are getting smarter. What are some of the biggest data security risks to, to companies at the moment? Uh, I think today, um, remote access to corporate networks um, is going to be a huge one. And then identities in general. So you could, you could tie identities back to phishing or whaling or spear phishing. Um, but the key thing nowadays is just getting a hold of someone's account. Um, it's not like the traditional, you know, individuals that grew up in cyber where people are, you know, breaking into your DMZ on web server and then they're trying to traverse your network and pivot on the inside and get to a database. Um, today, it's really all about the, the identity itself, um, which is primarily coming in through phishing. Um, and then that allows the, the remote access to be abused as we're all well or all aware Everyone is shifting now to be a remote workforce. Um, massive amounts of organization had to had to shift to adopting VPN, bolstering their VPN to support the amount of users. Um, and I think that is still something that, as an industry, we need to get a better handle on um, who is accessing what, whether that's an internal employee, a third party contractor, consultant, etc. Um, those are those are the big big key points right now. Um, is is people having their identities abused and or stolen? Um, and our insecure methods of remote access. Okay, so as, as this is a show geared towards HR folk, leaders, and talent professionals, my next question is, well, where does HR fit in? What questions can HR, for example, ask of their security provider to best understand how to future-proof their sensitive information? From an HR perspective, asking their security provider, um, they need to be focused on the individuals and the people that are coming in to help deliver the service that is being provided. So are we doing background checks? Are we doing OFAC checks? Like, do we have a training and development program? Do we have a career prep program for our internal employees? Uh, what are the minimum job requirements? And then at the same time, making sure that we're not just hiring people and leaving them stagnant. So. What are we doing to encourage employees to move their career forward? Um, you know, and also something that I think a lot of people will typically try, try to avoid is 
how do you handle performance management? No one wants anyone working for their team and or a customer that has potentially either been passed around or, or is known to not necessarily be the type of culture fit that we need. So a key thing that, that I ask and I like to ask and would encourage other individuals in HR to ask when they're working with third-party providers, um, how do you handle performance management? How do you how do you make sure that if someone is a problem that that problem is dealt with and you know clearly a politically correct and legal manner? Um, but I think that's you know key focus on at least from our aspect um, is the employees are key um, and we really have to have a good handle on how we manage employees, how performance is done as a whole here, and making sure that we're not letting our internal problems make its way to a customer. Yes, and let's actually talk now about those well-meaning but perhaps sometimes troublesome workers that are in organizations. Often they can be the weakest link in one security defenses. And um, there's, there's actually an interesting uh, post on the Deep Watch blog that, that I came across when I was doing my doing my homework ahead of this interview. And it's called uh, Top 7 Reasons to Acquire Cybersecurity Training for Employees. Why mm-hmm. is cybersecurity training for employees mission critical? in protecting one's business yeah specifically for for deep watch uh it's key to what we do and it's it's always great to practice what you preach from a velocity perspective so at you know us we provide cybersecurity services obviously we expect every single individual at deep watch to be very cyber oriented um and you know what we would love to say is make less mistakes than your traditional employee would in your fortune five or your fortune one um but Back to the original statement I made previously, like your success of your program always starts with your people. And I think HR, you know, being one of one of the directs to the to the CEO and pretty much every relevant organization today um, owns the culture of cyber is a thing the same way that diversity should be a thing and inclusion and people management, and career progression, cybersecurity should just be in that same bucket as something that is expected of all employees and all organizations. Um, no individual tool or platform or program is ever going to fully protect someone. Um, common sense needs, needs to come into play as well as policies and procedures on, on do's and don'ts when it comes to cyber related activities and having that led from the CPO or the head of HR for your organization is always gonna be much more successful because then it's a company thing, uh, it's an organization thing. It's not a well, cyber the cyber team or the you know the security team is pushing this on me. Um, getting HR on your side for any major initiative in a company uh, is gonna increase your chances of that being successful because it's coming down from the top and it's it's known that it is now a company thing it's not a a IT or a cyber thing and i think that is that is crucial okay thank you the uh, the, the deepwash team claims to be changing the way managed security services are delivered what do you mean by that and how does it work so back, back to people um, everybody can buy technology everybody can can enable things and build things but again the the people are the critical component of any successful cyber program and I think that is where we differentiate ourselves because we have what we call the squad model uh, we're the first organization to kind of adopt that and go to market with it it is increasing the people perspective the connectivity perspective the collaboration perspective the extension of an internal team perspective. So unlike a lot of other areas where, you know, you may get the technology and then your interaction with people is 
very random, very non-traditional from a communication standpoint, and you're kind of just a, a name and a queue inside of a help desk ticket, we like to, to really make that extremely personal, very intimate with the customer, and they get a handful of selected people um, that we call name squads. And that is, you know, to where you will know these seven to 10 to 12 people, depending on how large the customer is. These are the individuals you're going to work with throughout your, your engagement with DeepWatch. They are essentially part of your team. You you talk to them in, in real-time chat, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You learn to know their names. You learn their kids' names. More importantly, you, you get to understand the intricacies of the environment. So if you're, you know, if you're working for a service provider and your tickets just go into a pool, um, it's going to be very hard for that person to know the context of the ticket, the context of the request, and really be able to provide as much value as you would. Um, if it was someone that has been working with that same customer for one to two to three years. So that is something that we really pride ourselves on is making sure that every customer gets a white glove treatment. Every customer is, is treated as if they are part of our team and our team is treated as if it is part of the customer's team. There is nothing more frustrating than sitting on uh, a chat or waiting for te technical help and then you're getting passed around by a bunch of people who don't know anything about you or anything about your business i can testify to that listeners it's extremely frustrating so any way to avoid that is a good thing uh you you have an impressive list of case studies wes any recent interesting or particularly challenging projects that you can share with us i think probably one of our more challenging projects that we did and just to Clarify, are we talking technical projects or we want to tie something back to HR? No, technical pro projects. That would be great. Yes. I would say moving to a zero trust model. So DeepWatch, like the vast majority of, of organizations, was a, was a VPN-based company where when we interacted with customers, we had to build site-to-site -site VPNs and then remote access VPNs. And we had you know a couple of physical offices that you had to come in and out of via the VPN um, we, you know, several years ago, quickly realized that, that that model was moving away. The world was adopting zero trust. Everybody was trying to duplicate Google's Beyond Corp. Um, just understanding that a the you know the, the protocols used for VPN, their implementation types, the the hardware that's tied to them are are kind of fading away, and the zero trust approach now gives you the ability to tie a person to an app versus an IP. To a port. Um, and once you get past that IP and port, you're typically open in what we would call a flat layer two network capability. So you, you get in and then you can kind of pivot, go left, go right. Whereas with our, our zero trust model, uh, we have the ability to specifically say, yes, you can log in. Yes, you can authenticate. Um, but this is the only app you will ever get to. And that is all done behind the scenes. The end user never knows IP address. They never know a port number. Um, it's very abstracted. It just works. It allows us to expose internal assets externally without the need for a DMZ or without the need for, you know, an external IP address. Um, it is as if our entire service is local to the users um, and lifting and shifting and migrating away from VPN and, and adopting the zero trust platform for all of our customers was a was a very, very large initiative, but it has worked out well and now allows us to scale um, horizontally any way that we want to go. We can adopt a customer, onboard them within, you know, in most cases, less than 24 to 48 hours. Uh, we don't have to work with their networking teams. We don't have to work with their infrastructure teams. 
Uh, there's no complexities, private side and public side of tunnels and resource groups inside of the tunnels. Um, we simply, you know, provide a provide an appliance, virtual appliance via Docker um, that connects back out to the internet, and then everything happens. And it's uh, it's magic. It allows us to deliver immediate time to value to our customers, um, and it's very painless on their end, so they can focus on getting the value that we're going to provide versus spending massive amounts of time and effort on configuration and, and network complexities. Wes, you're not going to believe this, but we are already coming towards the end of this interview. Before we wrap things up, how can our listeners connect with you? So whether that's through LinkedIn or email or Twitter, or maybe you're really super cool and you're on TikTok. And also, how can they learn more, more about all the awesome work that, that you guys get up to? So I don't don't do TikTok, don't do Twitter. I am on LinkedIn. Uh, anyone that wants to reach out, they can absolutely reach out via LinkedIn. And I'm happy to have any cyber related conversation. I'm a tech guy. I'll go on for hours. That just leaves me to say for today, Wes, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you, Bill. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working and please do continue to stay safe. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.